Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Martin Studio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. Today on the show, we're going to talk a little about winterizing farm equipment. Now, I'm going to assume you're probably not done for the season quite yet, but even if you aren't, there might be some other things you might think about winterizing around the farm. So we're going to talk about that just a little bit today. We'll also answer your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag time. And we'd be happy to take your phone call and talk about anything that's going on on your farm. Our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or you can email us radio at agphd.com. All right. Before we start talking about winterizing farm equipment, if we have time here in our first segment, we'll get to the mailbag. But I wanted to talk just a, just for a minute about corn lodging because it's at this time of year when Darren and I start getting a lot of phone calls. Oh, my corn's down. Look, if your corn just fell down, then the odds are extremely high it's not the variety. Now, it still could be the variety. Okay, don't get me wrong. But it's rare when lodging is the fault of the variety anyway. And I know that when you're out in the field and you get two varieties and one's standing and the other isn't, immediately, of course, you're going to blame the one variety that, oh, that variety's bad. Look... Here's what I'd suggest you do. The most likely cause that you have out there is lack of potassium. So where this lodging problem is the worst, pull soil tests right in that spot, not all over the field. I'm saying right in that spot where it's the worst. Send it in for analysis. And then if you want, send it to us also. We'd be happy to look at that for you and with you and talk to you about that. But in a lot of cases, what we see is guys have 1% base saturation K, 2%, 3%. And then they say, oh, my corn's lodged. Well, that's a pretty easy answer. You're just short on K. And look, I know potassium and all fertilizer is expensive right now, but isn't lodging expensive? You can't, and I'm not talking about hotel lodging. I'm talking about lodging in your cornfield when the corn falls down. And it's the same thing with soybeans, with wheat, with any crop. You can have the crop falling over, number one cause, by far and away, is just a lack of potassium. Just put the fertilizer out there, and then that's not going to happen to you so often. Number two is rootworm. We see a lot of rootworm issues, and I just say it, it seems like this is much worse. It's much worse this year than normal. So I was just talking to an agronomist this morning. He said, well, it's too late. The guy's harvested. There's nothing we can do. And I go, what are you talking about? Go do root digs right now. Go find out what those roots look like. And let's see. Let's try to figure out. So I said, soil test number one. And number two, do root digs and see what's going on. Okay, number three is you let the corn get too dry. And it, let's put it this way. If you're harvesting, like we try to do, 20 to 24% moisture on corn, there's a lot less likelihood that corn ears are going to end up on the ground and corn stalks are going to end up on the ground. So if you let the corn dry all the way down, there's just some inherent risk there. You just have to understand that. And I realize you might say, well, look, I don't have a grain dryer. I got to haul it you know, right in. I don't want to take a big dock. I understand all that, but you have to understand that if you let it dry down further, there's more risk it's going to fall. And I don't care what the variety is or what else is going on. There's just more risk. Okay. And then the next thing is overpopulation. And actually, I'd probably put that ahead of letting the corn dry down. If you have thin stalks because you have too many out there, then you're much more likely to have a lodging issue. So I'd just say this. If you've got 
a lodging problem right now. You're going through with combine and it's terrible. Number one, soil test. Number two, do root digs. Number three, you need to cut the population back next time. So if you're planting at 35,000 right now, cut it to 30, cut it to 32, cut it to 28, something, do something. But the thinner you have the stand, then the more likely that the crop is going to stand up effectively till the end. And also use this for a guideline. 10 times your population is yield. So, and I'm talking about the number of thousands of plants. So let's say you had 32,000 plants per acre you're planting times 10. That means you should be yielding 320. If you're not yielding 320, I would just say you could probably, I'm not going to guarantee this, all right, but you could probably cut your population a little bit and you're going to be okay. So now if you're over 320, at 32,000 plants per acre, then you could probably stand to plant a few more plants out there and you'd most likely get more yield. So 10 is a good factor. On the low side, I'd say seven. So 32 times seven is, uh, let's see, what would that be? 224 bushel corn. That's on the real low side, but I usually like to focus on 10. And if I'm not at 10, that means that there's something else I need to do rather than bump my population. Whether it's do a better job with rootworms, Control the weeds better. Disease, fertility, something else is going on. Oh, one last thing I'll throw out there. If you have lodging problems, compaction. Just take a look on the compaction side. See how deep those roots are getting when you do your root digs. But if it's not rootworm and it's not compaction, then chances are it is potassium or overpopulation. Or you just let the corn get too dry this fall. Hey, uh, I was just talking to a farmer this morning, and and he was talking to me about a seed dealer that was just down the road from him. And he's like, everywhere those guys sold seed, it's down. And I asked him about that, and I said, well, what do you think's going on? And he's like, well, I think their hybrids are terrible. And I said, well, some of those same hybrids are from a different dealer for that company down the road, and theirs are fine. And he's like, so what did they do different? Pushed populations too far. And I don't know what it is that that farmers are more susceptible to this. I think there's just just like Brian. If you told him he needs ten more pounds of N, he's he's pretty right. susceptible to that. But I think a lot of guys are like, you know, yeah, thirty four thousand was good. Maybe thirty six is going to be better. And man, it's amazing. Our our studies on our farm showed the same thing when we got crazy with population and we did some forty thousand just to see what would happen this year, which is crazy for what we were shooting for for yield. We had some corn go down. And the same hybrid, when we planted it at a normal population, didn't have anything go down. So, yeah, it makes a huge difference. Right. So there are a lot of things management-wise you can do. And I would just say, again, it's almost certainly not the fault of the hybrid. Even though one might be standing, one might not, there's some underlying cause. And the next time, it could be the exact opposite. The one that's standing could be down. The one that's down could be standing. The, the whole point, what we're trying to get at is... We want to have all the stuff standing on your farm. So take a look at fertility, rootworm, overpopulation, compaction, and harvest early. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Weed control without the BS. That's more time to apply without wasting time. That's flexible tank mixing that doesn't bend the truth. That's near zero volatility with unmovable principles. With the Enlist Weed Control System, there is no sacrificing. Get better weed control with no ifs, ands, or buts at Enlist.com. Enlist.com. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people. 
and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. Don't let resistant weeds win on your field. Herbicide-resistant weeds are a fierce competitor of corn growers. Tough 5EC, a selective contact herbicide manufactured by Belgium Crop Protection, can help. Tough 5EC synergizes HPBD inhibitors and enhances the effect of PS2 herbicides. Add Tough 5EC to your post-emergence tank mix team and beat resistant weeds. Ask your local retailer about Tough 5EC or visit BelgiumUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients, AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, we're broadcasting from the Morton Studio today, and we're going to talk about something that, for some of you, may sound like, oh boy, they're covering that way too early. For others, it'll be just right on time. It's winterizing farm equipment. We've already been talking to farmers in the last week here that have had some snow. They've had their first snow, and I know the weather's been pretty warm for a good portion of the country, but... Not everywhere. It's starting to get cold, and especially in the north, we know that cold is just right around the corner here. So we've got to start thinking about it. And as harvest wraps up, you've got equipment that you're done using for the year, and it's time to get it ready for, for storage and potentially for next year. So we uh, we thought we'd talk about winterizing farm equipment on today's program. Of course, we're taking your calls and questions throughout as well at 844-44-AG-PHD. Got Kevin Brenneman on with us right now with Case IH. Kevin, how you doing? Hey, very good. Thanks for having me this afternoon. You bet. And I was thinking about this as we were going to talk about this topic. And for for me in South Dakota, this is very timely because, hey, it's still nice now, but it's not going to be for very long. I know we've got a couple of mornings that's supposed to be freezing here this week. But for guys in the South, how is it different for growers that are in a warm climate or growers that have a heated shop uh, versus the guys that we know it's going to be outside? There's obviously some differences there. Yeah, and I think the biggest thing that our customers need to think about with their equipment is those really cold climates or the climates that get really cold during the wintertime is those heating up and cooling cycles that cause a lot of condensation to form on the on the outside of the equipment and in a lot of our, our vented reservoirs and spaces like that on the equipment. You know, down you know, in the southern states, you don't see as far up temperature swings, so you don't see as much of that uh, condensation built up. Yeah, that is, that is true. And we know we're going to have the cold coming. We know there's going to be frost and freezing and those kinds of things too, which which adds some challenges. When when you get done with harvest, this is a debate that, that uh, I've heard out there too. 
are we smarter just to go through everything, change oil, change air filters, all that kind of stuff in the fall? Are we better off waiting till spring? What do you advise on, on those types of just normal maintenance things? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's usually one of the first places that I go to when I'm talking to customers about, you know, how to put that piece of equipment away for the wintertime. And my recommendation is, especially when it comes to changing fluids, um, you know, start by, by greasing that, that, that vehicle, all those pivot points, all those joints. You know, if you're putting a tractor away, it's the front tie rods, and the, and the kingpin knuckles, three-point hitch. Because you want to be able to put some fresh lubricant in there, push out any contamination, you know, push out any, any water that may have gotten in there as you're washing that piece of equipment up to clean it off. And then that, that fresh grease or lubricant then will protect those pivot points while they're sitting stationary over winter and over those, you know, cooling and, and heating cycles. And when it comes to changing engine oil, if you're getting close to an engine oil change interval, say you're within 50 or 100 hours of when you're supposed to be changing that engine oil, and you're you're putting it away for the winter time. I always recommend change that change that oil ahead of time. You know, even if it costs you a little bit because you don't get the the usage out of full usage out of that oil. Our 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 engine oils have a lot of additives in them that protect the engine. You know, they they hold a lot of the contaminants from combustion, so they can be filtered out in the filter. Um, Anti corrosion uh, additives, all those things break down over time as that engine oil gets used. So if the engine oil is at the tail end of its life, it's going to have a hard time protecting that engine during the winter storage season. So better off to, to drain it out, put a fresh set of uh, engine oil in, run the engine up to operating temperature, then put it away in the shed for the winter season. So, yeah, I, I just remember when I was growing up, this is a big deal to my dad, and there's still harvest going on, still field work going on, but as soon as there was a piece of equipment done, it was, here you go, boys, let's get her cleaned up, <laughs> let's let's get her all ready to put it to bed, and so you're right, we, we would be doing some touch-up paint on there, anywhere that something got nicked up or, or worn or whatnot, I mean, it was going to look sharp, and the other thing that dad always wanted to do is try and get it under roof at all, if at all possible. We didn't, didn't want to leave stuff out. And I know that's not possible for everybody, but, but that was right. a big deal to him. He thought, you know, you just see how equipment fades when it gets stuck out in the sun. If we can get it inside somehow, that would be great. Even it, it was cold storage, but at least it was out of the, out of the elements somewhat. That's right. And when it comes to cleaning off equipment after it's done being used, one of the philosophies I try and talk about with our customers is, especially with harvesting equipment, uh, recommend getting in there with, you know, the leaf blower, the, the compressed air to get a lot of that extra dust and crop material off of the, I'll call it under the panels, inside the machine, right? Get all that out of the way before you start using the pressure washer. Because if you don't get all of that, that crop material or dust and debris out, once it gets wet from, from washing it, then it'll it'll sit there and retain that that moisture over the winter time and start corrosion right so start with the leaf blower start with compressed air to try and push a lot of that material out of, out of there and obviously especially with combine you, you really need to get that crop material out of the machine because you don't want there's two things that crop material uh, attract it's either moisture like i've talked about or, or rodents and you don't want either one of those sitting on your wiring harnesses or hydraulic hoses throughout the winter so it's always good to start by getting them cleaned up. 
Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I know rodents is definitely on the checklist, too. You want to make sure you don't have any of those around. Now we're talking with Kevin Brenneman here with Case IH. Kevin, great suggestions here. Brings back a lot of memories for me of uh, running the pressure washer before things got blown down. Yeah, that that makes it a lot more work if you, if you do things out of order. Kevin, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Uh, you're welcome. Thank you. Set down to Iowa. We got Matt Day with us right now with Sprayer Specialties. Uh, Matt, I was thinking about this. Uh, you know, the sprayers still got stuff to do. We got some fall herbicide that that we are finishing up putting out there. Uh, some guys are doing some fertilizer type applications. Uh, the sprayer doesn't just get put away in July. It might be used in the fall too, and that can be a challenge. Well, you're right about that. They. Uh seems like the sprayer years ago they did it didn't get quite as much use as it does anymore but yeah all times a year um you know made them so they're uh super accessible and they can go anywhere really fast but yeah the the winterization and this stuff it's great that you're you're bringing this up and and having it on the show because this time of year this is a oh i wouldn't say every other call but we get a number of calls every single day questioning us how how do i winterize this thing what do i need to do so well, I think Kevin made a great first point. You got to clean everything up first. And once you have it all cleaned up, so let's take a sprayer, for example. There's a lot of things to clean and flush out. And let's face it, as an industry, we need to step it up and do an even better job cleaning sprayers out with all the spray contamination issues we see every year. It seems like uh, a few guys every year it just, oh, it's frustrating. And they're frustrated. Oh, I forgot to do this or I forgot to do that. Uh, so getting through that sprayer, cleaning it out very, very well is important. Once we're all clean, Matt, what do we do at that point? Well, every system, whether it's a little 12-volt sprayer on a four-wheeler or a side-by-side or all the way up to a full-blown self-propelled 120-foot booms, the systems are very much the same. So, you know, basically, it's just making sure you understand the system. So, Pretty basic. You've got a suction line, usually, maybe a strainer. You've got the, the heart of the machine, which would be, in, for the sprayer, would be the pump. Uh, and then after that, you've got filtration. You go out to uh, boom section valves uh, and then nozzle bodies. So it's kind of, you know, a, a series of small components that make up the whole thing. And within that component, you've got other things coming off of it. You might have on a, a, a large self-propelled sprayer or, or a pull type. Um, maybe a chemical induction system and some different things that you want to make sure, um, like you said earlier, are good and cleaned out, but as well as you're going to have, in our world, we like to always use RV antifreeze. Uh, the pink stuff usually or something along that those lines, um, petroleum products, different, some guys like to use fertilizer or 20 or 32%, I mean. Uh, these are not great things to put in a sprayer in particular and leave in them. Um, to make sure they're ready. But basically start at the pump, start at your suction point, and kind of work through the system. Um, it doesn't take much water in a pump housing to crack that and ruin the pump housing. Um, that was, you know, perfectly cleaned out and blown out. Usually pumps are kind of low on a sprayer. So any water left over will trickle down and find its way in. So if you haven't done a good job blowing everything out or making sure you've got antifreeze in the system, You'll find out in the spring. Yeah, you're going to find out in a hurry, no doubt. Hey, Matt, can you hang on just a second? I got a couple more questions for you about getting that sprayer ready for winter. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. 
Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The Enzone from FarmShop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit FarmShopMFG.com for more. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. Winter is here, and that means it's the perfect time to improve your farming operation by attending Ag PhD's winter workshops and clinics. Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. My brother Brian and I are hosting a bunch of free workshops throughout January and February, with each event focusing on different subjects that all help you make more money on the farm. On January 11th, we start off with a wheat agronomy workshop, followed by two days dedicated to understanding soils and cutting fertilizer expenses. Then on Monday, January 31st, we're dedicating a whole day to drainage and the benefits of tile, followed by our corn agronomy workshop on February 1st. Finally, we'll be discussing soybean agronomy on February 15th, with the next day fully devoted to learning about one of the newest developments in increasing yields across the country, natural and biological products. We have a lot of great information on how to improve your farm, and we can't wait to share it with you. Best of all, all these events are free, so be sure to check them out. Learn more and register at agphd.com. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards, and that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. We're talking about winterizing farm equipment on today's Ag PhD radio show. Thanks for listening. If you would like to contribute with a little bit to the discussion, you sure can. Or if you have an agronomic question, our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. And you can always email us, radio at agphd.com. Uh, just for the break, we were talking with Matt Day here with Sprayer Specialties about getting that sprayer ready for winter. But, you know, after you do all those things, Matt, after you've, you've done all the cleaning and the winterizing, now it's time to inspect things and, and get ready for next year and make sure we're going to be ready to just pull that sprayer out and, and use it and have it running 100% right away. So when it comes to inspections, where do you start with that? Well, you know, the hard part is on the inspection side of it in the spring is a lot of times you just need to 
put some water in the machine and start running it and finding out if you do have a leak. And, and basically it's pretty simple on, on leaks on a sprayer. you got to find your first leak and stop it and see if there's any after it. <laughs> That's kind of how, how it works that way. Um, but overall, yeah, just really need to pull it out, um, start out with just water, make sure your pump's going to start up, and, and see if it's going to spray. You know, I was thinking about the spray trailer, too, as you started talking through things. I'm like, man, we got the spray trailer, too, and that's sitting in a different building, and, and got to make sure we get that thing out and, and get through that, too. It's it, it just We're talking about this a little early, I know, for some guys, but there's just a lot of details around getting everything done because you don't want to have a problem. Well, you know, your last segment there, I heard you guys talking um, with Kevin Brenneman with Case IH, and a little bit like he was saying, changing the oil and doing some of those things. Like, that's some of the stuff we see. The um, You're always so busy in the spring. There's so much going on, and it's not that fall isn't busy. You've just got done with harvest, and you've got some fall stuff to do. But, you've, you know, you've kind of made it, right, at the end of the year. And so the sprayer, the, the nurse trailers, some of that stuff, it's easy to – to kind of put it away and know that there was a little bit of a hiccup with it or it needed some work and kind of put it on the side burner. Um, but, you know, generally that's going to come out and you're going to know about it when you need it most. So, yeah, to do the best you can as far as getting things ready to go for the next season, uh, you know, the amount of preparation you do there is, is your success in the spring. Yeah, absolutely. It comes quick. There's no doubt about that. We're talking with Matt Day here with Sprayer Specialties. Matt, thank you so much. Really appreciate all the insight today, and good luck to you heading into the winter. Well, thanks. Appreciate the time today. Thank you. You bet. Yeah, I said winter. I wasn't kidding about that. we got Nick flights with us down in Kentucky. Now, Nick, it probably doesn't feel like winter in Kentucky yet today, but it's coming, man. It's coming soon. No, not quite winter here yet. The sun's (laughs) shining, but I know it's right around the corner. All right, so we talked through just equipment in general. We talked a little bit through the sprayer, and I know uh, one of the things that I brought up, too, is just getting an unbelievably good clean-out at the end of the season. And personally, I feel like everybody could step their game up just a little bit on this. And I know Pentair's come with some some advancements to, to help with sprayer clean-out. Uh, where do you start when you're talking with the guys about getting ready for winter? Is, is that clean-out a big part of that discussion? It is, but I'm going to start with something a little bit unconventional first, and I'm going to say that the when you're winterizing your sprayer, that's the best time of year to check your spray nozzles for wear and any damage or obstructions that are going to impact their performance. I'm going to say that because we all know that there's been a lot of supply chain disruptions the past 18 months or so, and that will allow you to get ahead next spring and avoid any potential back order issues. Spring is the busiest time, the most demand for spray nozzles. That's when we tend to see back order issues. So if you check those nozzles now, you'll go into winter. When you're purchasing your chemistry, you'll know what kind of nozzles you need for next year. You'll be ahead of the game, so you'll be ready to spray in the springtime, whereas other people may have some back order issues on getting new nozzles left to deal with. You know, that's a great point that you bring up because I've already been talking to farmers who are making seed decisions or trying to at least get, well, which trait package am I going to go to on soybeans, for example? I know there are some extend guys that are saying, well, I'm either going to go extend flex or I'm going to go enlist because I want to use Liberty. And and so you're right. That's one of the first things we talk about is, okay, well, hold on. Spraying dicamba versus spraying Liberty is a whole different deal. And we get talking about you're going to need different equipment to get that done in terms of spray. 
spray nozzles. And, you know, some of the Liberty guys that are worried about supply are talking about, well, hey, I might have to spray more Enlist One this year, or maybe I'm going to do something different on my pre's. So, yeah, there are a lot of different tank mix partners out there that require different nozzles. Good thinking, Nick. I'm glad you, I'm, this is one of the reasons I love having you on here, Nick, because you always come up with something different that I wasn't thinking about. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, on the topic, you, you mentioned clean out, getting a good clean out. Uh, that's important, too. Um, getting a good clean out is going to prolong the life uh, of that sprayer and all the components on there. Um, so, you know, the first thing I recommend is just flushing everything in there that's out. If you got some leftover residue uh, product in there, flush it out. Then let's go back with a water rinse and get at least 10% of the tank volume with water agitate it everywhere that you would normally run product in plumbing in that sprayer spray that out flush it out then you can come in with a good tank cleaner um, that's going to help break down some of those oily residues it's going to alter ph and really help you uh, get that sprayer good and clean it can be a lot of residue built up inside the sprayer that we don't always see or think about in hoses at the end of boom plumbing nozzle bodies your strainers um, so a tank cleaner is really going to help you uh, step your game up with that cleaning. And then, of course, uh, you know, the last, uh, the last component is getting an antifreeze in there, making sure that it, all those components are, are ready for winter and you're not going to have any freezing issues. Um, I know there's some folks out there that like to use 28 or 32% liquid nitrogen for that. I'm not going to recommend that. Those can have some low pHs. They can be a little bit caustic. We've seen some issues with um, early impeller erosion in our pumps. We've seen early failures from erosion in the diaphragm check valves and nozzle bodies. In some cases with nozzles, uh, fertilizer nozzles that have eroded and worn out prematurely due to pre prolonged exposure to uh, 28 or 32%. So I'm going to recommend folks avoid those and instead use a good um, RV type antifreeze for that system and that should be a little bit more user friendly to all the components and seals in your sprayer. Yeah, that's that's a big deal. And I know Matt Day had touched on that too, just that, uh, boy, whatever you choose to put in there to keep things from freezing does make a big difference. And I know there are farmers that are using 28% as a carrier in the fall, putting equipment on so their sprayer doesn't freeze up while they're doing the spraying. I understand that, but it's a whole different deal when you're talking about long-term storage. That's a great point that you bring up, Nick. Yeah, no problems at all. You know, in certain cases, you want to use it as a carrier. can have good uses there, but um, for long-term storage, it can cause some troubles. It doesn't always, but we have seen those cases, and so just want to let people know to take a, a extra step or two with a good antifreeze and, and avoid some of those issues that uh, will allow you to just hit the ground running, pull the sprayer out, and get rolling in the spring instead of having to do more maintenance and uh, part replacement. Yeah, and and it's not cheap, and like you mentioned too, if you find out at the last minute you need parts, uh, if you don't have them on hand, you just don't know exactly how long it's going to take to get some of this stuff, especially when it's a high-demand time of year. So here's a great opportunity in the fall heading into the winter to get stuff on order, even if it takes a couple of weeks. No big deal. You're not going to be out in the field anyway. Uh, we're talking with Nick Flights here with Pentair. Uh, Nick, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. I know there's going to be some new innovations coming likely over the winter and before next season. So I'm sure we'll be talking about those coming up here uh, in future shows. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me on. You bet.
Yeah, it's always it's always fun talking with Nick. I love that he comes at it with a, a different angle sometimes. And you know, here's a good thing: talk to other farmers that that are around you. What do you guys do for winterizing? What does your operation do? Everybody's got some different tricks and and techniques they've learned over the years, and it's just fun to to learn from each other. You, you think about that. Every farm does things slightly different. Some things are are universal, but there are always some tweaks that that come into play here that you could definitely benefit from on your farm and honestly what do you have to lose when you start talking about this and having this discussion with others it's just like we talk a lot about on uh, fertilizer and and soil tests and those kind of things talk with your neighbors talk with your friends and relatives about that and and compare some notes and see what everybody's learning because it's going to move your operation forward a lot quicker and hopefully avoid some problems with freeze up in this case that we're talking about today with winterizing equipment Listening to Ag PhD Radio. We'll be right back after this. When you're ready to harvest more corn, Drago is ready to help. The proven Drago Series 2 corn head with automatic self adjusting deck plates beats competitive brands for harvest efficiency. And the new Drago GT features integrated deck plate ear shocks for unsurpassed yield capture. Harvest more, return more with a Drago Cornhead. For more information on Drago Cornheads, go to dragotech.com. That's dragotec.com. Fill once, plant all day. The Thrive 3D application system from FMC is a revolutionary in-furrow crop protection platform that plants up to 480 acres between refills. The Thrive 3D application system mounts to most major planter brands and can be yours at no cost with the FMC Freedom Pass program. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. How do you make 300 bushel corn on your farm? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. On Tuesday, February 1st, we're going to answer that question at a free Ag PhD corn agronomy workshop at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll talk about water management, fertility needs, finding success in cold soils, and we'll discuss how to protect your corn crop from weeds, insects, and diseases that rob yield potential. If you want a roadmap to 300 bushel corn and beyond, don't miss the free Ag PhD Corn Agronomy Workshop. Register now at agphd.com. While you're there, check out the other Ag PhD events that we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in soybeans and wheat, a tiling clinic, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There's a lot of great information that we can't wait to share with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. Maintaining your crops is as important now as it's ever been. Howler, a revolutionary fungicide from AgBiome, can help. It provides long-lasting protection from a broad spectrum of foliar and soil diseases that affect crops. Howler is OMRI listed, has multiple modes of action, and has minimal pre-harvest and re-entry intervals. 
It's flexible, easy to use, and is available right now. Visit agbiome.com forward slash howler to learn more. Hey everybody, come on in. The Ag PhD Mailbag is about to begin. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Studio. We are in the Ag PhD mailbag time, taking your calls at 844-44-AG-PHD or questions at radio at agphd.com. First one from Paul. He said, we're in southern Arkansas raising soybeans, but our ground is deficient in both P and K. How do you no-till farm <laughs> and still what, work what in was. high rates of fertilizer to prevent runoff? Um. Well, you can inject it. So a lot of people in no-till are going with the planter and putting on P and K like in a two by two or something, but you could also place a little bit deeper than that. With our planter, we've gotten, well, probably not a whole lot deeper than that. So that's, that's getting down four inches. If you're two inches below and two inches to the side, that's four inches down in the ground. That's not bad. But in terms of how do you actually build a soil, it's hard. It's really hard. But here's one thing that I would like you to consider. Tilling one time. So let's say we get another year like last year. So, And, and by the way, so this is complete opinion um, and, and complete speculation. But at some point, fertilizer prices are going to crash. Okay. Well, I guess that's really not speculation. That's going to happen. It's just a question of when. Is it going to be next spring, the spring after that, the spring after that, the spring after that, the fall after that? I don't know when it's going to happen, but at some point fertilizer prices are going to crash. When they do and fertilizer prices get cheap again, like they were last fall, at that point, should you consider just building your soil way up, tilling one time, and then just going back to no-till forever? So then basically all you have to do is a maintenance. But if you've got a really terribly depleted soil, that's honestly one of the things that I would consider to build up the entire soil profile. Because what that's going to end up doing for you is most likely giving you a long-term healthier soil when you raise a better crop. So anyway, it's with the planter. You certainly could go out just with a coulter if you wanted to. That'd be very, very minimal disturbance. Otherwise, you broadcast stuff, till one time, then go back to no-till. Those would be my suggestions. Okay, let's head back to the phone lines. Got Mark with us in Virginia. I think we got Mark spooked a little bit when I said the word winter. Sorry about that, Mark. It's it's a ways off in Virginia yet. Well, I don't think so, guys. Uh, <laughs> look, I enjoy your radio show. I enjoy your TV show. I've learned so much over the last uh, four years since I got a, a good TV now and uh, got serious in the uh, vehicle here. So uh, my question, what I want to say is, you know, a lot of guys don't run the equipment all year. I run it all year down here, and I've seen it four below zero. But uh, I've already started treating the diesel fuel in my tractor with anti-gel and stuff and uh, water emulsifier and stuff like that just just to make sure that the diesel fuel stays clean because that little John Deere 3025, it's a great running tractor, and it's always started even at four below zero uh, without much problem. Yeah, up here in the north, we usually talk about number one diesel or number two, and 
switching over to number one when we get to winter and being careful, let's say, if we were running biodiesel and the percentage that we would be using and that kind of thing. But yeah, very commonly up here, we'll get to 10 or 20 below zero and occasionally we'll hit 30 below zero, just air temp, not even figuring wind chill or anything. So yeah, it, 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 the the additives or the type of fuel you're using, that absolutely can make a difference. Yeah, and like I said, uh, I'm about two hours uh, southwest of uh, David Hula. Maybe one day I'll get a chance to ride up there to him because I, I live in Brunswick County down here right on the North Carolina border. But uh, so a lot of soybeans are looking good, and it looks to me like they're uh, getting ready to harvest down here right now and tobacco has been being harvested for uh probably the last month i see trailer loads of uh bales of tobacco going going to market so uh it's looking up down here but uh we just don't grow a lot of corn or cotton over here mainly soybeans and tobacco right now and a lot of pasture land and a lot of cattle yeah I, one of the things that helps too is just that Prices for all the commodities have been up here for a little while. Let's hope that they stay up there. And uh, and then the soybeans and, and all the crops can, can do pretty well. Hey, uh, Mark, thanks a lot for calling in today. Appreciate your input, and best of luck to you down there. Okay, thank you, man. You bet. Thanks a lot for watching the TV show and listening to us on the radio. We appreciate that. All right, go ahead, Darren. What you got right. there? Uh, this one comes from Diego down in Argentina, and ah, he's had a fun time of year. He said, we've got V4 corn. So corn crop just getting going down there in Argentina. He said, I'm wondering, what can I do to increase the rows around the ear of corn? Well, Diego, you might be a little bit on the late side on this one. Say. We generally like to have um, a good boost of fertilizer on that plant early. And when you think about when those rows around are determined, it may be by V2, V3, you need to have stuff done. Uh, but you can still increase the length on that ear, and you're certainly going to do no harm to the to the crop by increasing your fertility program or working on some highly efficient fertilizer availability. Now, one thing that, that a lot of growers will do that, that don't want to be out there spraying every five days or anything like that is put fertilizer on like in a two-by-two two on the planter or put a band a little ways away from where the seed's going to be that your crop can get to within the first couple of leaves of crop. The other thing you could do, of course, is foliar feed early on. But that's been a little hit and miss for us, depending on rainfall. Mostly and so miss, forth. mostly miss. I would say, and the stuff with the planter, yep, that can help. But I, here are the things, honestly, that we talk about. If you want to improve rows around, which, in the end, let's face it, we don't care about rows around, right? What we care about is overall yield. So, however it gets there, it's all these same things that we talk about all the time. So, it's having great drainage and or if you need it, irrigation. So it's water management. That's number one. Number two is soil pH. You For corn, you're looking for a soil pH at least in the sixes. So I, I know in your country, there are a lot of cases where the soil pH can get real low and a few where the soil pH can get high. But ideally, we're looking for Soil pH in the 6, 6.3 six, to 6.5, somewhere in that range is about ideal for corn. You'll maximize yield there. And then on the fertility side. So Darren mentioned a couple little things you can do, but I kind of look at the big picture and I just say, look, I want to have massive amounts of P and K and micronutrients, sulfur, 
calcium, everything out there that that crop needs for great yield, not just good yield. And it right. all depends, too, on what your soil can hold. So without knowing if you've got light soil or heavy soil, that's hard to say. What are you going to say, Darren? Well, I think a lot of farmers do put N, P, and K out when they're planting the corn or right before. So I think they're at sufficient quantities at V4 corn. What where a lot of guys will fall down, though, is they haven't put sufficient amounts of micronutrients in close proximity to that seed where where they're actually going to be able to get them into that crop. So I think the micros play a big part early in the season like this. I do think there's sufficient NP and K. I think we're going to run out of NP and K at some point if, if we don't have large amounts out there. So that's well, that's the next thing. But granted, you have to have the table set for a lot of that stuff up front. Okay. Now, Darren's mentioned a couple of times the application with the planter. And don't get me wrong, I love that. We do that all the time. Or, so or it's we do great. a strip till in the fall even, or a strip till very early spring, which we don't normally also do, but some great. guys do. Also great. But ultimately, I want all your soil built up, like literally zero to 12 inches deep, if at all possible. I want to see you have good levels of pH and all the fertility elements, all the, the elements are important because, think about it, you, if your your plant is probably going to be ex- able to extract some of that fertility and some of, it fertility, some of that fertility at the right time. But we want anywhere where the root to go to have good fertility levels. So if all else goes wrong, hopefully everything is going well inside that plant and it can still bring some nutrients into that plant. So, yeah, I'd really like to see your soil test, and then we could talk about that even further. But, you know, beyond that, it's other things. It's compaction. It's controlling weeds, insects, diseases, all that kind of stuff. Like even weeds. If you don't have that cornfield spotless, and I mean no weeds at all, you absolutely will not maximize yield, I will promise you. So lots of things that all go into this, and ultimately then that means more rows around that year. Well, stay tuned. We'll get to more of your questions right after this. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com farmall. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. If you understood everything on a soil test and could make your own fertility plan, do you think you could cut your farm's fertilizer expenses? Maybe you could increase your yields. Why not both? I'm Darren Hefty. We want to empower you to make your own fertility decisions. That's why we're devoting two full days to our Ag PhD Soils Clinic this year, January 12th and 13th at the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. This could be the most important two days that you spend in your farming career, and it's all free. So register now at agphd.com. While you're there, check out the other Ag PhD events we have coming up in January and February. 
including agronomy workshops in corn, soybeans, and wheat, a tiling clinic, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There's a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. What's new from New Farm? Longbow EC Herbicide, the latest in our portfolio of versatile weed management tools, gives you another Carfentrazone option, taking aim at more than 60 broadleaf weed species. And did we mention economical? Longbow EC's low use rate makes it a flexible tank mix partner with most burned down non-selective herbicides. Ask your dealer for Longbow EC, available for fall. Introducing Kyber Soybean Herbicide from Corteva AgriScience, the newest premium Group 15 pre-emergent solution. Kyber delivers three effective modes of action for long-lasting residual activity, meaning your fields won't just be clean, they'll be Kyber clean. And what is Kyber clean? Well, it's a little like... Nice fields! See the difference at kyberherbicide.com soy. That's K-Y-B-E-R herbicide.com soy. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio, right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time. If you have an agronomic question, our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can email us radio at agphd.com, which is exactly what Doug did. He said, guys, I'm wondering, is there any difference in the amount of compaction created by a disc versus a field cultivator? Just wondering uh, what you have seen. Well, typically we will talk about the disc creating more compaction, but both rigs can cause compaction out there. So I I just say, yeah, uh, there there's probably a little bit of difference, and I'd probably say the disc is going to create more compaction, but field cultivator can as well. So I don't honestly I don't think there's anything you can do out in the field that's going to create no compaction. But it's just the varying de- degrees that you have. And the other thing I'll say, let's say that your normal routine is, oh, I'm going to disc and field cultivate. And then the next year I'm going to disc and field cultivate. Then the next year I'm going to disc and field cultivate. Okay, at least vary the depths a little bit. So then hopefully you can bust that compaction up. And quite frankly, when I say vary the depths, I would <laughs> say keep going deeper all the time. Because what you're doing, in effect, is you're settling out a lot of the fines at whatever level you're at. And if you don't believe that, just dig around a little bit and you'll often see. Darren likes to walk through the field with a tile spade. And, I mean, you can find that hard pan, I mean, in two seconds, especially in a dry year. So at least try to get below that with whatever tillage you're doing. And I'd just say, yeah, anytime you're out in the field, you're going to create some compaction. But the more we can minimize compaction, the better chance we have for high yields. All right. Thanks for that. We really appreciate that. Uh, got a couple of them here, Brian, from, from different folks who were asking about the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal app. Obviously, that app gets downloaded a ton during this time when people are taking soil samples and making fertilizer recommendations and so forth. Uh, a couple of them were asking about uh, hectares, and, and we do get a lot of international questions about, uh, so you have stuff in acres what about hectares or is it just in bushels or how how do your units of measure work uh well we have metric and so yeah that's a fantastic question because i gotta look that I, I so i'm always dealing with the u.s the imperial uh measurements and so i don't i 
I don't even remember exactly what we have in there. Yeah, so but when anyway. you think about 200 I'm, bushel corn, I yeah, guess that's okay, the big thing. If we're looking at 200 bushel, bushel corn, corn here's okay. how much we need to raise 200 bushels, whether that's over a hectare or over an acre. Right. True. Exactly. Um, and so, yeah, then there's metric in terms of tons. And I guess that's what I was going for. What, what, what do we have? We've got bushels or we have metric tons. But yeah, to Darren's point, it's over an acre, over a hectare, whatever it happens to be. Okay. Uh, get with this from Eric. This is some feedback about oh, we were talking. Hey, hey, oh. Darren. Let me. I I, got, I had a great question from an agronomist this morning. And since you mentioned the fertilizer removal app, I I just or did, was was your next question fertilizer oh, removal app oh, also? Right. Okay. So this one was how many pounds of nitrogen does it take to produce a bushel of corn? And occasionally you'll hear people say, "Well, I'm able to raise corn on 0.8 pounds of nitrogen." That is completely untrue. If somebody says that to you, that's not true. What they're saying is they can raise corn point on eight a applied, point eight pounds. applied pounds. Exactly. So when you look at the Ag PhD fertilizer removal app, let's just put in one bushel of corn. Okay. What it takes is 1.12 pounds per bushel. I don't care if you're raising 50 bushel corn, 80 bushel corn, 800 bushel corn. It doesn't matter. It's 1.12 pounds per bushel. But here's the thing, and this is the reason why I bring this up. If you're not soil testing and you're just simply guessing at how much nitrogen is left from your previous crop, you can do that. But I'll give you an example in a second. But anyway, here's where I'm going with all this. Yes, it takes 1.12 pounds to produce that bushel of corn. But you got to figure carryover in. And then you have to figure how much nitrogen is coming out of your organic matter when it mineralizes. So those are the two factors. Now, here's the thing. Like this fall, thankfully, we soil tested every acre. And out of the 2,000 acres of corn we had, I don't know what the exact average is, but I'm going to guess it's 100 pounds or a little bit more left over of nitrogen. And our average yield was well over 200 bushel corn. I don't know where all this nitrogen came from. All I know is there's a whole bunch there. And had we not done the tests, just think about the, what that would have cost us. Because normally if you're guessing at it and you say, oh, I'm coming out of corn, what could possibly be left in the field, 20 or 30 pounds? But in reality, I have 100 pounds. Well, that's 70 or 80 pounds I wasn't counting on. And at the price of nitrogen today, we're probably talking $50 an acre. And I just said 2,000 acres of corn. So what I'm saying to you is we saved ourselves $100,000 on nitrogen because we soil tested. $100,000 we saved on our farm. And I'm dead serious. If we went to soil tested, I would have guessed, oh, we have 20 or 30 pounds. We put a, would have put on all that extra nitrogen and completely wasted it. And you're going to make it worse because of this. When you put on too much nitrogen, here's what usually happens, at least when you have rain. Now, we haven't had rain in like a year and a half. So, But when you have rain, then... The nitrate in your soil will often turn to nitric acid, and it will strip calcium out of that soil. So when it leaches out, it'll strip calcium out. And what happens when you strip calcium out? Your soil pH goes down, which then means if you, are, if you had perfect soil pH to begin with and your soil pH then goes down, what happens to your yield? Well, that goes down. And then to fix the problem, you have to spend money on lime. So what did I just say? I said you overspent on nitrogen. Then you lost yield. Then you had to spend money on lime. Now does soil testing seem like it could pay? 
this is the reason why we talk so passionately about soil testing. Because if you don't have the data, you're guessing. And I'm the same as you are. If I don't have the data, I'm just going to guess and I'm going to take my best educated guess. Well, in this case, I would have looked pretty darn stupid because I thought there couldn't possibly be much nitrogen left after the yield we pulled off on a lot of these fields and I was dead wrong. So thank goodness we soil tested. Okay, you got that recorded, right? Janelle Brian says he was dead wrong. We're going to use that clip over and over. Thank you for that, Brian. Really appreciate it. Here that. on the show, we talk about our mistakes quite often. And I was trying to think of what something you mentioned earlier in the show. And I'm like, yeah, we figured that out because we screwed. Oh, it was population. We planted way too high population. And it was my own fault. I screwed it up. And we had corn fall over. Had to combine it one mile an hour, one direction. And I'm, I'm talking like several hundred acres. This is quite a few years ago. I screwed it up. And I just vowed never again. And so that's why earlier in the show we were talking about all these causes of lodging. Overpopulation's absolutely one. If you got a lodging problem, just cut your population. Yep, that's a great first step. Okay, so got this one from Tom and switching up here to weed control. He said, I got a problem with giant ragweed in corn. What would you suggest I do for a herbicide program? What should my timing be and so forth for next season? Okay, well, if you want the best program, here's what it is. You start with Verdict, and you run at and least— what, are, what would you run, 10 ounces? Would at, you run 15? I'm, I'm just saying you would run at least 10 ounces, and I'd prefer 15. And then i just follow with status and a little bit of atrazine post-emerge. Problem solved. Make sure you've got um, everything right for raising the best corn you possibly can. In other words, if you do a good job with insects and diseases and— soil fertility i mean all the factors we always talk about so then you have a nice healthy crop that can choke that that ragweed out later on you're in good shape but yeah if you start with verdict you follow with status and a little atrazine that's what i would call the cadillac program all right now do you think that hppds will have a little longer residual of course they will. Yeah. So you could possibly use the hppd post emergence instead of status you as could well. also throw hppd in with Yep. Uh, I don't want to do that. Yeah, yes, I, I do I another the, application. I do another, I do no, another application. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yep. That's okay. what I mean. Uh, another question came in. Chip said, uh, we're talking about cleaning out sprayers, that kind of thing today. He said, what steps need to be taken with the sprayer when spraying in list? Should I clean everything out, flush everything out if I'm going to leave it sit overnight? Oh, just for overnight? That was his second question, yes. Uh, I don't know that I'd be that worried about it if it's just overnight. I, I, okay, so here's one of our biggest concerns when you leave anything sit in that spray tank overnight. You're going to pull stuff out of the pores. So Roundup, for example, is one of the best tank cleaners ever invented. It will actually overnight suck a lot of other stuff out of there. So let's say you were out spraying corn, but the day before you had, or the week before, the whole week before you'd been spraying volunteer corn in your soybeans. Well, now you got a grass herbicide in there that might still be in the pores of a poly spray tank. You could pull that out with the Roundup. 2,4-D or Enlist is not the greatest tank cleaner, so it's not going to suck as much out. But if you were overly worried about that, you could. Otherwise, just drain the thing out. But honestly, we don't do that, and we're typically just fine. All right, thanks for the question. We really appreciate that, Chip. And thanks to you for listening today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.